0: The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit
1: sqpn.com slash give. Hello there. Obi-Wan Kenobi here, also known as James Arnold Taylor, the voice of Obi-Wan, Jedi Master pro and many other characters in the world of Star Wars. You're listening to... Shh,
2: don't tell. It's the Secrets of Star Wars. May the Force be with you you're listening to the secrets of star wars episode 163 hello there it's a power that jedi have that lets them control people and make things float impressive
0: every word in that sense was wrong help me obi-wan
2: kenobi you're my only hope this station is now the ultimate power in the universe i find your lack
1: of faith disturbing
2: it's against my programming to impersonate a deity. that's not how the force works force is with me and I am with the force and I fear nothing remember the force will be with you always hey everyone I'm Angela Cialana and you're listening to the secrets of star wars where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far far away From movies to books to TV shows and much more, we are looking at the deeper themes and meanings found in Star Wars. And today we are diving into a dangerous mission. (laughs) The final two episodes of The Bad Batch Season 2, entitled The Summit and Plan 99. And our crew for this mission consists of, first of all, the Padawan, Josh Beagley. Hey there, Josh. hello. Hello. And we are glad to welcome Robert King, who shall henceforth be known as Guardian of the Wills. Welcome, Robert.
0: The Force is with me, and I am one with the Force.
2: (laughs) Awesome. Well, um, I'm so glad that our crew has assembled for this mission. And to start off the adventure, here are our official summaries of the episode's very short and simple, and infiltration proves more challenging than expected, and the heroes are tested. <laughs> so before we dive in, we'd like to take a brief moment to recognize and thank our heroes, who hopefully we don't test too much. Uh, the people who make this <laughs> podcast possible are patrons including Celine C., James R., Christopher K., Lavinia S., and Michelle K. And if you want to help StarQuest continue our mission, please consider becoming a patron like these heroes at sqpn.com slash give. Thank you so much. All right, so we are discussing these final chapters of season two. And oh my goodness, you guys, when you first watched these two episodes... What was your first impression? Um, Robert, I know you've been itching to give us your first impression here. So what do you got?
0: Oh, man, it's it's so mixed because I loved that these episodes were bringing us back to like the big picture story of the bad batch um the connections with crosshair and the the connection you know sort of the big picture story of omega and getting into where the batch fit into the larger star wars mythos and i loved all of that and i loved that they weren't uh, shying away from the high drama of the risks the batch had to take in order to get uh where they were going um and you know the spoiler's big deal um
1: <laughs> you know i I love
0: that they were willing to knock out one of the members that they wow. they were willing yeah. to sacrifice tech and and it looks like tech is really gone i mean y- you never know How can he
2: survive without those goggles you know <laughs> yeah i mean the
0: fall he could have survived but the loss of his goggles <laughs> i don't know um but at the same time it it felt like like so much of this season it it felt like it was unevenly handled and i mm. felt like they were like grabbing my heartstrings just a little too hard to to tug on them and and i was like oh i i wanted i love the story i wanted it to be done a little bit better i guess is my first impression Um, okay but you know that's my experience of it and i know a lot of people really did feel that um that emotional impact that that they were going for so maybe it's just me
2: Oh, it could be. I guess we'll find out through this podcast here. (laughs) What about you, Josh? What was your first impression?
1: I sort of felt the same with that, you know, pulling on your heartstrings and just pulling your emotions in like every single way because they would set something up and then they would break it down. They'd have love and then there'd be sadness. There'd be just really cool action scenes as well, which I also always enjoy. Who doesn't like a little explosion here and there. Yeah. But, um... <laughs> no, I thought... I just... I couldn't get over the fact of it just sort of... having these small things that they would slowly set up, like, in within these two episodes alone, and then just go an entire different course, and it's like, it constantly made you, like, keep thinking about it. And, I don't know, all my predictions throughout the whole thing were like,
2: nope, can't happen. Not <laughs> anymore. <laughs> They were knocking down your your predictions there. Yeah, um, I guess for me, I would say that I too was struck that they chose to eliminate Tech from the crew, but I did appreciate how they gave his character a proper death, um, a noble death, and as we, I think, will discuss during this podcast, what text death meant really for the Batch um, and perhaps for the future of the Bad Batch. Um, Overall, I think one of the things besides what you all covered that really stuck with me was the music and the emotional impact or the, I should say, the uh, role that the music played in the emotional impact Uh, for this, these two episodes, because I noticed when I was rewatching how Kevin Kiner was almost telegraphing to us, what was the emotional, um, you know, undertone throughout uh, the, the different characters, the different situations that moment when they were like, you know what, let's quit soldiering and let's go to Pabu and (laughs) let's put all this behind us. All of that. So um, speaking of Pabu, that's where we actually start off in this story arc. So let's, let's get into it here. Um, We, we begin with, of course, the mission, the discussing of whether we're going to actually go to try to save Crosshair. And uh, we are in this discussion with Echo, of course, who's come back, Hunter, Tech, Wrecker, and Omega. And the goal is to track Hemlock's ship, of course, to its origin. I found it interesting that Hunter is hesitant at first and that it's the rest of the crew, especially Tech, who persuade him on the basis that Crosshair is still their brother. So I just wanted to ask you guys, what are your thoughts about, at that moment, obviously Hunter is sort of the father figure or the leader, but why do you think he was hesitant to go into this mission? Why do you think he wasn't more enthusiastic or willing to um, go after Crosshair?
0: I think he was just thinking of, you know, the possibility of this actually being successful. And I mean, the, the end of season one, they gave Crosshair a chance to join them again. And Crosshair very definitely said, no, I'm going my own way. And, you know, this is a high risk mission with a lot of uh, possibility of somebody getting hurt or not coming back. And all for someone who, last they knew, didn't want to be brought back in the first place. So I can see that being a real, you know, cause for hesitation on Hunter's part. It's like, you know, is is this even a mission worth taking, especially with all of the risks involved?
2: True. Um, and it's also curious uh, how... I guess enthusiastic the others were in in comparison then when you think about all of the things you just mentioned um josh what what do you think about this whole dynamic?
1: I actually kind of agree with Robert on this one of it being him thinking into it, and i mean if i the last time I heard of someone was they never wanted to see me again, <laughs> and then we're gonna go rescue them. I'm like they don't want he doesn't want us. We're, we're gonna do our own thing and also they just found this really nice vacation island to live on <laughs> and they can be away from all of it i under, and then there's i guess the only reason i can see them being excited is just they can have the family back together on pabu and hmm. like live a happy life there i feel like that that would hopefully be their end goal I don't know. I'm not good at predicting things, so. <laughs> well,
2: that's, that's an idea, though, that maybe Crosshair, if they brought Crosshair to Pabu, maybe he mm-hmm. just, it would be a chill pill for him and he would just be able to relax and enjoy life a little more. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But, you know, the idea that, um, that you've all have brought up it's interesting that we can consider how Hunter has sort of crossed this threshold of, you know what, I don't know about all this soldiering business anymore. I mean, look at where it's gotten us and how it's divided up the team and endangered everyone and just all that they've been through over the last couple of seasons. So, um, yeah, that, I think that's an interesting little study into where. Hunter has um, arrived as as a character.
0: I mean, no surprise that Omega was all in favor of rescuing Crosshair. Sure. But, you know, kind of the surprise was Tech speaking up. Yeah. Um, And I I think this was, you know, if there has been a really strong thread through the whole season, it's been the development of Tech as a character, Mm. which, you know, in hindsight is obviously setting up for this big emotional punch. Right. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it shows, and and I think maybe this is part of what moves Hunter is that if tech can see the value Mm -hmm. of the family connection they have with crosshair, then maybe that is what overrides his, uh, hesitation or reluctance.
2: Good point. Yeah. Um, And this is indeed beginning a series of special moments with tech in these two episodes, the next of which immediately following is with Fee. And, you know, I really need somebody to edit together a compilation of Fee and tech moments, perhaps to an AI reworked version of Van Morrison's Brown Eyed Girl. (laughs) <laughs> make it a brown-eyed guy you know uh, <laughs> so make I it happen
0: internet <laughs>
2: <laughs> I know that some people watched this scene and immediately were concerned for the safety of tech <laughs> 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 um, did you guys have that reaction or what was your reaction to this scene Kathy was right <laughs> <laughs> No, um I s I thought it was actually really nice
1: because then I was like, okay, they're gonna go do this mission, they're gonna come back, he's gonna be happy, he's gonna give her a big kiss at the end, and it's gonna be happy, <laughs> end of the season, it's gonna be great. Do you Wrong. even know Teth? <laughs> 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 well no, he, he wouldn't know what's going on, but he would figure it out eventually. Oh man. I thought I thought that was gonna be like the perfect ending, it's gonna be like a Disney happy ending. Uh
0: but no. <laughs> What do you think Disney owns Star Wars now or something?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I expected a Disney ending. Oh, oh man. man.
0: I so this the whole Fee and Tech relationship is one of those things that that felt like it was too obviously too deliberately pulling on the heartstrings for me. Okay. And I mean, I'm not really sure. I don't know Fee well enough as a character. I don't think we've gotten enough of her to to understand what it is she sees in tech mm-hmm. um, because tech certainly isn't giving her anything back to, <laughs> to encourage her. I think um, he
2: has maybe slightly, um, but that could be debated. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. It's, I don't know the, like it, it feels like a relationship that the writers really want to happen, but I'm I'm not sure I'm buying it. Um, okay, and so so that moment kind of yeah, it it certainly kind of broadcasted that oh <laughs> something bad could happen to Tack here. Mm. Um, but beyond that, I for me again, you know, I may be the outlier experience here, but but uh, for me, it fell flat.
1: Yeah. I have an motionless guy in
2: it. Like it's going to feel flat. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I was sort of in the middle with this because I've come to appreciate fee for embracing tech for who he is. I think that tech is so beloved by those of us who watch the show. And so to me it makes sense that someone would in the show universe galaxy think, you know what, this guy ain't all that bad, you know, and and start to form a uh, a crush or a, an admiration or a friendship, or whatever you however you want to put it. So I'm in the middle as far as, you know, I think Fee and Tech might have become an item down the line if he had survived. But uh I, I, w- I, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't putting as much emotional value into their interaction here as I think some people were. Mm-hmm. Um so by the time we get to Ariadu, tech becomes this crucial part of the mission, right? Right off the bat he has to temporarily disable the sensor so that they can hitch a ride on this. I call it cable car, but they're calling it a rail car. So whatever you want to call it, it's Star Wars. We call it many things. <laughs> um, And they get inside this compound at, apparently it's called Raven's Peak, which is kind of cool. Um, And we get to meet, These Imperial officials, we've actually met all of them, apparently. Um, And so I will be asking you guys what your thoughts were on getting to see inside this Imperial Summit. But let's review who we see here around the table. So we have Dr. Royce Hemlock. Of course, we have Governor Wilhuff Tarkin from Rogue One, Commander Orson Krennic by the way, voiced by Ben Mendelsohn. Mm -hmm. We have from the original Star Wars film, General Hurst Ramody, who asks whether the clones assented to participating in the experiment. So that was that guy. (laughs) If you're like, uh, I couldn't tell between the two of them. And then we had the other fellow uh, from the Clone Wars series, Admiral Barton Cobour, Coburn, who um, during this summit points out the c- clones were cunning, they were loyal to the Empire, they served. So that was the team there assembled. Were you guys geeking out to see inside an Imperial um, leaders summit here? <laughs> what were your thoughts as we were uh, getting this these insights here?
0: I was honestly a little surprised at and i'm i guess i'm always a little surprised and maybe i shouldn't be at how disorganized the empire is (laughs) like these these are supposed to be the top minds in the empire who are who are like all of them are reporting more or less directly to the emperor Mm mm-hmm and they don't seem to know what each other is doing. And they seem to be like at cross purposes all the time. And, and it's uh, man, did it really need the rebellion for this empire to fail?
2: <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, um, Josh, were you feeling like they were sort of talking across the table at each other rather than with each other? Or were you geeking out at seeing or synchronic? What were your thoughts? Uh, I, I
1: thought it was interesting whenever they brought up the clones and they're like, we had this great thing. What happened? And like, even like the top people seemed oblivious as to it. And it's just like the emperor one day said no. So, okay, we just do it no more. But I thought that was, I think, like my favorite part of it is just being like that. And then they just throw in the Easter egg right after it. It's like, oh yeah, how's Project Stardust doing?
2: How- <laughs> we we want to see that. So. Yeah. That was fun.
0: I uh, I I really appreciated the the interest, if not quite concern, but interest in the clones and and what was going on. And again, that repetition: they are imperial property, um, which is like you know this this huge red flag, um, you know if if you had any doubt that the empire was evil here you go they're calling people property this is bad sure. and um and yeah the fact that that at least a couple of them were were paying attention to what is going on with the clones not just as strategic assets but as people they might have a responsibility toward
2: yeah you know i was trying to follow what was the through line? You know, what's the ultimate plan? As you were saying, it could almost seem like they were all doing their own thing and sort of like kids in fifth grade, you know, they all have their own project and then they come together and they're like, well, I did this project and this was my science project. So I was trying to follow Tarkin as he was sort of, you know, uh, philosophizing about what they were trying to do. And he talked about this concept of unification requiring Mm -hmm. a strategy to deter dissent and rampant (laughs) (laughs) self-interest. I love how he speaks. Um, And apparently to deter dissent and to unify people across the galaxy, this requires, uh, Hemlock says, an enlightened society with molecular alteration (laughs) so essentially it seems to me like the empire is trying to get everyone to think the same way to be on the same page to not rebel to not be interested in their own I guess planets cultures what have you um, and perhaps their uh, method of getting to that point would be to enlighten everyone about how we could all be on the same page. We could all be unified by somehow, I guess, mind controlling everyone. I don't know. I mean, it is, is that sounding like something that you heard as well? Or do you think I'm just sort of, maybe you had some other interpretation? I don't know. With The Empire and definitely how it's
1: been portrayed as just someone who just wants total control. You want everyone, like, it it makes sense as to what you're saying with them needing that everyone's on the same page, everyone needs to understand we are doing this for the interest of the galaxy as a whole, and yes, some people may suffer partially, but, like, I don't know, they're trying to make themselves the good guys out of it and justify their actions. Which may not always work out in their favor.
0: I, I was definitely getting Brave New World vibes mm-hmm. from this. The, the you know... Like, I, the, the word I was surprised not to hear was order. Um, right. Which has kind of been the hallmark of the Empire's agenda in gosh in and or and um like i think in a couple of the movies even um you know when when you, when you get a sense of what the emperor is after its order and and vader especially we can bring order to the galaxy this is like the sith agenda um but yeah the the molecular alteration the the people being of one mind was very much making me think of you know kind of the genetically engineered psychological classes from from brave new world um mm. like everybody has your designated role in society, and you are both genetically and and psychologically sort of limited to doing that one thing or
2: yeah right um and the the goal would be for a peaceful society. <laughs> So I think for some people, it may be those who are more inclined towards coercion and control would have no problem with this. (laughs) If the goal is there's no war, there's no famine, there's no abuse, you know, all of that. If everyone is peaceful and harmonious, then what's the problem? Mm-hmm. Right? So, I mean, how how do you answer that because I think even today in our own time and place, we see these types of um sort of, you know, realities where some folks are saying, "Well, let's 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 not give people certain choices to do certain things let's force them to do other things um i mean you could for their own good of course (laughs) yeah you could fill in the blank um but you know let's talk about that i mean what is so important as from a catholic perspective what is so important about free will that um we really you know why do we respect it so much what's wrong with coercing people if if we get a peaceful society out of it how do you uh,
0: i i think ultimately because peace is not the highest value we have uh, love is the highest value we have okay and and love requires freedom which means love is not always going to be peaceful in in that sort of sense of no conflict Mm. love is going to bring our differences out in order in order that we can love one another even in our differences you know that um, for whatever reason in God's wisdom he did not create a world of clones he did not create a world of, of identical machines he created a world of individuals and um individuals not isolated, you know, individuals in community, but, you know, unique persons who have to overcome their differences, but also use their differences in order to relate to one another and and find communion, ultimately communion in him, right?
1: Uh, I'm sort of hung up on the fact that you said of sort of how much we really give into a government and as a whole of how much power you give them. And I can't remember exactly what it's from. I think it's from one of the Federalist papers, but it, it sort of sums up that idea of free will in it as well, is that we're all um inherently given our own set of natural laws. So sort of like what we can, what we can do, what we can't do. And then whenever we form a government, we give up those natural laws and turn them into governmental laws. In I don't remember, like, the exact terminology of it, which is bothering me a lot, but... You don't I, have all the Federalist Papers memorized? I don't. There's, there's too many of them.
2: What good is this college <laughs> you've been going to? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, I'm not a history major, Totally so. teasing the Padawan here.
0: Padawans these days, what are you going to do? I
1: got the right idea, that's what matters. <laughs> but, I don't know, I I definitely like that idea of... That And then whenever you give too much of your own individual control is whenever it crosses a certain point of Mm. no return. Mm. And Mm. that's where I think the Empire starts to struggle in it as well, of not everyone is willing to give up as much as others because they see their own value in different things.
2: Yeah, and I can't help but, you know, when the Empire talks about peace... I have uh, learned how the Romans, uh, the Roman Empire used to define, you know, Pax Romana was the absence of conflict, right? But then if you looked at the culture of Jesus and the Hebrew shalom, that is actually a covenantal presence and agreement, you know, that is something that we do, Right, peace is what we do. it's not an absence, so absolutely that requires free will, right? You know, as you guys were saying, we have to, something we have to contribute and something that we have to participate in, and so it can't be something that where we we take away people's free will to participate in that um and that's a lot harder than just up a puppeteering people yeah yeah so um if anyone wants to go ahead and inform the empire about that then um good luck there but uh uh, that would have changed a lot of star wars
0: i'll just call up palpatine right now i've got his number on speed dial
2: you heard of this concept of shalom yeah helps so (laughs) So we have um, <laughs> we have also, you know, this infiltration happening on base. We have the Bad Batch. They, uh, with the help of very small Omega, successfully, they plant this homing beacon on Hemlock's ship. But there's a hitch, of course, because not everything can go off perfectly, right? There is something wrong with the surveillance system. And so mm-hmm. they check it out. And they run into our favorite guerrilla warrior, right? Saw Guerrera. And of course, they have a disagreement about how to combat this enemy. And I wanted to talk with you guys about this because of course Saw wants immediate casualties. That's his style, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and the batch is like, no, let's let's not be so hasty. Let's think about this. What's the long-term effect here overall? And um, I was thinking about the motivations behind Saw and behind the Bad Batch. You know, a lot of times when we talk about Saw Guerrera, we talk about how he's lost so much personally and that created this angst within him that, you know, motivates what we see in his character and these extreme choices that he often makes. Um but you can also say that the bad batch has lost a lot too, right? Uh, from the empire. So why what is it about saw and the batch that informs the differences in how they how they handle these things? They I mean they've both been trained to be soldiers, right? I mean Saw got some training from the Jedi. So what's the difference? What do you think?
0: I I think the, the first thing that comes to my mind is, is that the Bad Batch have something that they are striving for. They are looking for a way to get to Crosshair, to save Crosshair, maybe to save more clones. Um, whereas Saw has nothing to fight for he only seems to have something to fight against, and so I, when they were kind of arguing their points back and forth, they both felt like they were justifying themselves. Um, like I'm not sure how principled either side really was in that <laughs> argument, um, but yeah, like Saw, like he doesn't have anything to gain, he only has like. The the vengeance of making the making them feel the pain that I feel, whereas the Bad Batch, they have a chance at getting Crosshair back.
1: Yeah, I I see Saw as this very radical person who will do whatever he can just to cause damage. He's just a hothead, just going in guns blazing, whenever, wherever, and. He doesn't have a lot of thought into sort of what he really wants in the end. Sort of how, like you were saying, where he's just fighting against the Empire rather than like trying to, you know, free a planet or anything like that. He's just going to kill as many stormtroopers as they can and call it a day. And I think that that plays a lot then into how he's going to also go about things. He's not going to go in and do these discrete missions and try and steal information. He's going to blow up the whole base while he's there. (laughs) It's just what he's going to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the Bad Batch are not trying to cause any more scenes and getting any more publicity for themselves, as well as trying to go out through their own mission of trying to rescue... Or somewhat rescue, try to get back their, fr- their brother. Still don't know the proper term for like, are they technically rescuing yeah. him or just trying to talk to him a little? <laughs> you know, have a little tea party? <laughs> I, I think
0: rescue is on the table at yeah. least. Yeah. Give him the opportunity to be rescued, perhaps.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely reconnaissance first, but um, mm-hmm. yeah. They, I mean... They want to see what's up, want to see if it's it's truly a a cry for help, yeah, um, and I think both of you have a lot of insight into that, and it's almost as if these two different sides saw and his side versus the bad batch and their side um are dealing with their their lot in life. <laughs> uh in different ways and it just reminds me of how all of us have that choice you know going back to choices and free will you know we have that choice to be able to handle the the rough patches you know in in different ways and ultimately if you learn to direct your anger and frustration in into something you know into a mission like like the batch are are really doing um and you know i think saw himself believes that he has a plan but he has a plan for destruction as you were saying and it's sort of like burn it all down you know mm-hmm. um so that they'll stop hurting people like stop the empire from hurting people burn it all down and I think the Batch, um, we could probably learn a thing or two from how much has been taken from them, how much their lives have been changed by the Empire. Um, And yet they have chosen not to go about that. You know, they they really could have. But they wanted to salvage their lives. They wanted to salvage others' lives. And um, so it's just interesting to think about So as their their presence is discovered in the compound, the Batch are able to safely leave and get back onto this rail car system. Explosions happen, right? We see the cable car system lose power and suddenly here they are in the middle of the sky, almost in the middle of the clouds, sitting ducks, right? And this is where episode 15 ends, (laughs) So um, if you have some sweaty palms thinking about being hanging up there, (laughs) you can take a second to wipe your palms off.
0: Just think how Wrecker feels.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I know. Uh, He was like, oh, this isn't so bad at first. Right. And then he looks down. (laughs) (laughs) Never look down. (laughs) Uh, So before we get into the finale episode, um, quick reminder to everyone. While you're watching, while you're listening, do rate and review the podcast if you haven't already. Let us know how we're doing. Help secrets of Star Wars get seen by more deep-thinking Star Wars nerds like you and and I and all of us. So, <laughs> uh, thank you very much. All right, so episode sixteen. Here we are. Um, walk me through your feelings as we are dangling over this chasm, and we watch the bad batch trying to problem solve here um you know tech is in a lot of trouble he's trying to get the power back online the imperial forces are shooting at them what are you thinking at this moment are you considering what's what could possibly happen so
0: so the first thing i was thinking was um just the the shot of the rail cars in the the clouds and the smoke with the mountain behind them and the tower on the mountain. And I'm thinking, I've seen this somewhere before. It reminded me maybe of like a World War II movie or something like that. And and I'm sure it's probably some kind of deliberate reference on the mm. artist's part but i i'm blanking on what it could be so this is my appeal to you listeners what what was this shot like referencing if anything um because mm. it was it was so beautifully composed and just yeah so so dramatic yeah. maybe maybe not quite the emotional grab <laughs> that, that you're going for but no. but it, it was a powerful uh image and I think I think deliberately chosen.
2: Absolutely. I was,
1: I was very much filled with alright, which way are they gonna end up dying here? <laughs> <laughs> it, it was like,
2: alright, no secret three. Be...
1: <laughs> here comes the airplanes, here here come the stormtroopers at the other one. Which one's gonna do it first? <laughs> <laughs> but it definitely kept you on your toes as to how they're really going to get out of the situation. I think they did a good job of grabbing you enough to be able to be like, they are, they are going to need a miracle to get out of here. Mm -hmm. But it just didn't look like anything could happen.
2: Well, and we're so used to them getting into these terrible pickles and somehow being able to MacGyver their way out of it. Right. That's yeah. what they do. <laughs> They're the bad match. They're clone force 99. They're yeah. they do the impossible, right? Uh, yeah, but um the, I think you're right. The the creators of the show made this situation so um realistic and terrifying. <laughs> and um unfortunately Tech gets shot off and he's dangling from his belt before realizing that in order to save the rest of the batch his line has to be cut and so he calls for plan 99 now did you all catch why it might have been called plan 99 i did and if you read wikipedia it actually has a really
1: nice little explanation for it and it's like With it, like, regardless of the orders, they need to sacrifice themselves to complete the mission. And I thought that was actually a really nice way of putting it, because obviously with 99, it references ninety nine sacrifice during... Clone 99.
2: Yeah, Clone 99 on Kamino. I really appreciated that reference. Um, and for those who haven't watched The Clone Wars yet or haven't gotten to that point... If you want to watch that story arc related to Clone 99, it's in season three, the first two episodes of season three. So check that out. Definitely. Um, but. Uh, oh, my gosh. So to see Tech sacrifice for the rest of the crew and just giving that sigh and saying, when have we ever followed orders? hmm that was pretty memorable with the music and omega screaming no
0: <laughs> yeah and wrecker screaming uh yeah no the whole like i don't think that any of them except maybe tech at that moment thought i don't think they were thinking about we're not there's a chance we might not get out of this. They're always practical. What do we do next? What do we have to do? Okay. We've got to get the power on. We've got to get the, the car back connected to the rail. We've got it. What is the practical thing we need to do? And that practical thing they needed to do that tech needed to do. You know, we've got to get rid of this dead weight that's hanging off of the car And then connecting that to it's me and it's, you know, the relationship we have. And yeah, it's, um, there's just a lot going on there.
2: Yeah. And when you think back now to when Tech stood up for this mission in the first place, right? That he was the one that said, no, Crosshair is our brother. We need to go for him. Um, Yeah. We don't leave
0: anyone behind
2: right to see him be that sacrifice you know so that they could accomplish that mission it's pretty remarkable and um and i kind of have come to view now that we've seen his last moment to view his character as in a way in some ways opposite of crosshair so i want to sort of um run the, these thoughts by you guys and see what you think. Um, in some ways, Crosshair and Tech are very similar because they have a very methodical thought process, right? That sometimes people would consider to be extreme in certain ways. Crosshair was separated from his brothers because good soldiers follow orders, but Tech was separated from them by not following orders in a way. Um, Hmm. And Crosshair's decision to separate from them was made regardless of what the impact would be on the rest of the crew, whereas Tech's decision was made because of its impact on the rest of them. So in a way... Now that we're getting close to meeting Crosshair again and seeing where he is in his character development, I can only hope that Crosshair can sort of take up that mantle in a way from Tech to rediscover his loyalty to the crew and sort of fill in some of that place, you know, that technical, um, methodical, precision type of place obviously we can never replace tech fully right but they are similar in these ways and so i don't know what do you what do you think about about um i don't know just the the relationship between these two characters and comparing them
0: i mean i think i think he goes all the things you said and 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 even deeper like they are both very much about precision um, I love that moment when, when they were approaching this was in the previous episode when they were approaching the, the rail cars and um it's like this will require precision. Everyone turns to wrecker and it's like I can handle
2: it. <laughs> <laughs> but,
0: but but you know, precision is is Tech's thing and precision is crosshairs thing. And um and again they're both very much focused on doing what they see needs to be done um but like you said for crosshair it's you know what needs to be done is follow the orders and what needs to be done for tech is um save the mission regardless of the orders Mm -hmm. save the, the the team yeah
1: yeah and also i feel like with crosshair and tech in terms of, like, how they matured throughout this season, Crosshair, I feel like, got the more emotional aspect that you feel like Tech would need because he doesn't seem to grasp human emotions at all, and it took, you know, Crosshair being stuck out in the middle of the winter with just another clone to realize that, like, this is all he has. And while Tech may sort of understand that this is my family, it's sort of like, does he actually truly understand like what a family is? And that's also where him being with, you know, Omega and Wrecker and Hunter for the past couple of arcs or whatever, he's sort of gotten to see more of what a family is and slowly grow into that more emotional caring person and looking out for them which is why he was able to do that and make sure that they would be the ones that would be safe in the end
2: yeah
0: without losing any of that that sort of logical Mm -hmm. um you know rational mindset he um in fact one of the things i love about tech sacrifice is it's not it's not like motivated by passion or emotion it's motivated by um this is what would be good for my brothers this is what would be good for the batch um in in a very rational way and it's like oh love is more than just you know that passionate feeling love can come from the mind as well as the heart and and it's just as powerful you know, whatever its source is.
2: Yeah. Um, and it's now that we're speaking about the these two characters, I'm realizing that's what they were doing the whole season. They were developing these two characters um, yeah. in this parallel sort of way. So we had, I mean, we had the, um, the development of Crosshair and his emotional awareness um not only of of others, but also inside himself, this interior awareness um and sort of claiming that for himself and and learning to speak up for himself as a person, as an individual person um It was really important for him in his development and and I think for tech, he was always sort of speaking up for his own opinion. But to be able to do that on behalf of the family um was where he he needed to grow, and he definitely got to that point so um that's really awesome that we we got to see both of those those characters develop in that way, so it makes me eager for season three um and, absolutely, yeah, <laughs> and just talking about you know when we looked at crosshair. In his um, big, you know, story arc, um, we saw, we talked about the environment and we talked about how the environment was very important. We've sort of discussed that throughout the last few arcs. If we look at the the rail cars and the cable car being up in the clouds and sort of dangling up in the air, I wonder if that was an intentional choice on behalf of the showrunners because it gives this sense of fragility and this sense of you know vulnerability that you may not get in another um setting you know to when you think about they were definitely in the clouds and the clouds are very foreboding but they are also you know fragile and in, in this sense of they're like nothing it's like just wisps of precipitation you know Um, any thoughts about what the setting might have uh, meant as we we lost crosshair or we lost tech
1: go for it Josh (laughs) Uh, I really don't know and you know I'm trying to think of words but
2: I'm just (laughs) (laughs) that's okay
1: yeah, the clouds are the clouds are the such a
0: presence in those scenes. Mm-hmm. Um they hide the ground. You have no idea how far down the ground actually is because they're complete it's completely hidden by the clouds, right? Yeah. So they're like literally ungr- ungrounded.
2: They can't see the bottom. They can't see they're, they don't they they can't see the footing underneath them, so it's very it feels very uncertain it feels yeah very um vulnerable like i I mentioned I think they're just feeling emotionally and physically extremely vulnerable,
1: I think it also shows how isolated they really are being suspended like that and above the clouds with no one really there to support them from below or around them,
2: yeah. They are very on their own. And the cable car finally crashes and we find the rest of the the batch waking up to this this pile of rubble. And we come to seeing Omega's first person point of view. I remember that this happened, I believe it was last season when was it wrecker who got hurt? I'm trying to refresh my memory here. One of them got hurt, and we saw their first person point of view when they were mm. taken into the ship and um we saw that again here with Omega um being very uh discombobulated, obviously injured, and we get a first person. POV um any thoughts about what impact that had and why why that was brought up at this particular moment I tend to think that it um really put us in in their heads so that we could sort of see how how bad the situation was how what a difficult spot they were in and just really sort of discombobulated and overwhelmed.
1: I think it also really showed how uncertain they were as to what their next move was, you know, with everything just sort of seeming like a fuzz and ringing in your ears and just being like very out of place now because you feel stranded on this random island now that you had to use a cable car to get into. Like, it shows that, I think also the nice thing of having it through Omega's perspective is that she's a child. And, you know, having a child in this situation, I think, also puts you a little bit closer into it and makes you have more empathy towards them. Sort of having them keep pulling on your heartstrings. (laughs) Yeah
0: it it for a moment made me wonder whether she was going to make it um right. and uh you know omega has been really the heart of the show um from the beginning um it's yeah i mean to to show how fragile she is that uh even her plot armor isn't that strong And, and having just established that tech doesn't have plot armor anymore, it raises all kinds of questions. Um, it, it definitely made me feel that, that was the one place I think where, where it did feel like it wasn't just tugging on my heartstrings. I really did feel engaged, like, oh man, anything could go wrong. Um, you know, is anybody going to get out of this alive? And, um, yeah. yeah, that was, that was wonderfully effective, I thought.
2: Yeah. And, and so when they, they take her to Ord Mantel and AZ takes a look at everyone, Omega's waking oh, up man. and it's that moment where she asks, where is tech? And, She's protesting. We've got to go back. He can't be gone. Hunter has to be the dad and give some finality to the situation for her. And I think she is, in a way, um, the reason that we got that POV was because we sort of become Omega because we don't want tech to be gone. We want to be the one that's protesting, saying, no, no, no. We can't have lost Tuck, you know. And so when we're we're identifying with her, she's she's in this spot emotionally. But Hunter insists that they they will not waste his sacrifice. And mm-hmm. this is the moment where he says, You know what, me and Wrecker think we should put all this soldiering behind us, settle down at Pabu. What do you think? did you actually believe for a second, a millisecond, that that's where we were going to go next? Or did you just know that it couldn't be that easy? It's never that easy. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) One thing with that
1: scene, though, I thought was really interesting as we're sort of talking about it again, is how much more it feels like we've grown in, instead of being a soldier and turning more into a person with how Hunter is more as a father figure and trying to help Omega through her first death of someone that she loved. You know, she saw clones all the time, but she never really saw them out in battle. And now she's lost one that's been close to her for her whole life. And it shows a lot of their maturity of being able to help her through the situations and do what's best for her without being like, Well, he's dead, that that's the life of a soldier, let's just <laughs> keep going. Right. And they're sort of looking at all these different situations now as to what the best next move is.
0: Which ironically was wasn't that text advice to her earlier in the season yeah. when she was mm-hmm. sad about about uh uh Echo not staying with them. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Just it's life. Move on.
0: <laughs> yeah. We're soldiers. That's what we do. And 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 yeah. But no, you're right. We're more than soldiers now.
2: We need a vacation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and and that's I mean I mean so the design of of Pabu the island on Pabu and the design of Mount um, uh, Tantus you know they both have you know this sort of slope going up and then this ring around them and then a a peak above and they they're very parallel settings in a lot of ways just visually um so I again I don't think that was. Um uh, coincidence and um the parallels you were drawing between crosshair and tech uh you know both of them sort of growing beyond what it is to be just a soldier mm. um, and and to some extent everybody i mean. We were talking earlier in, in the podcast about how you know Hunter doesn't seem to be using his enhanced senses to to be hunting that much this season. He's more focused on being the father to this mm-hmm. family, protecting um, them. Yeah, yeah, and again, growing beyond his uh, designation into who he is as a person and who he is in relationship with these other people. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of what the show is all about.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: We have clones who are supposedly identical to each other, but are instead radically individual and and different from each other, Mm -hmm. and um, supposed to obey orders, but they exhibit all of this free will.
2: Right, and that's what that's what Tarkin was saying is. Was troubling to him is that the clones, especially under the leadership of the Jedi, were developing a troubling individual individuality. And uh, yes, but that's darn those Jedi. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's being a person, right? And um, so, as we get to this difficult moment, we have even more <laughs> heartbreak. Because we realize that Sid has ratted them out. <laughs> She's offering these empty condolences to Wrecker and, you know, eventually fesses up that in her self-interest, she just had to report them to the Empire. And so here we are with Hemlock on Ord Mantel. He's got record tied up. He's mocking Hunter's paternal affection for Omega, threatening him and feigning sympathy for Tech's death. And of course, Omega disobeys Hunter's orders, ends up caught, right? I mean, um, it was, it was, a wonderful sequence to watch um to unfold as far as how they how the writers went about um you know I think following up on what what was uh, painful for each of these each of these members of of the crew you know just for hunter to um to see Wrecker tied up first of all I mean Wrecker's the strongest of them all so to have Hemlock just standing there next to Wrecker, um, you know, in charge of Wrecker, you know, physically, was um, you know, striking. And then to be basically hunting down Hunter, you know, baiting Hunter. And uh, you know, it was just, I don't know, that that really struck me. I don't know if you guys had any anything else you wanted to say about this whole sequence and how it it, it pans out. Uh, I thought the
1: whole chase scene was really interesting of them being a family and trying to help each other out like all throughout it and then it just kinda becomes a game of like, all right, now we gotta chase this person and then this person. But I don't know. I think it worked out in a way that also will make season three good of Sort of starting off with having to rescue Omega and seeing her as the prize child as we were sort of introduced to her as in season one of being, you know, this unaltered clone and her being sort of like the key to whatever the empire wanted. And now whatever, I guess the bad batch wants and their freedom and sort of seeing how they're going to rescue her what crosshair is going to play into it if there's more than just the goggle remains (laughs) he could still be alive but you haven't unless if he blew up on screen even then you know (laughs) Echo survived being blown up so maybe he landed on a tree who knows
0: yeah Maul survived being cut in half (laughs) (laughs) no one's really dead (laughs) yeah yeah there's hope for tech but uh, I don't know I yeah, I don't know if I want tech to, to remain dead or to, to come back dramatically. Yeah. It's it's hard to say. Um like what would have what would have the the deeper impact. Um I yeah. I I agree. It was a great chase sequence and um like all of them really showing their willingness to put their own lives on the line for the others a the little detail I loved you know as soon as there was a chance at escape Wrecker just kind of snaps his, his bonds off
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know like, <laughs> the,
0: those cuffs were not gonna hold him he was only you know keeping him on because he didn't want you know Everybody to shoot him, but uh yeah, I thought that was <laughs> like
1: <laughs>
0: fantastic. Sid's betrayal was was uh, sadly sudden but inevitable. Um
1: right. they've been teasing it for so long too. Mm-hmm. I feel yeah. the entire <laughs> season, they're like, "She's gonna do it. She's gonna do it." Mm. It's finally at the very end. Is like, now, now she does it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. It was coming. Um, Mm. And yeah, definitely a great sequence. We end up with Echo and Hunter on their own, I believe. Um, Was Wrecker with them as well on the ship? I believe so. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Because I thought only Omega got captured. Okay. Only Omega is captured. And she ends up in Hemlock's lab compound secret thing and whatever we're calling it, um, apparently or supposedly uh, returning her to Nalase so that Nalase will do what Hemlock wants, but Nalase says what the emperor wants is impossible. So does Hemlock only want Omega just so that Nala Se will have some motivation to work for him, or do you think that there's some underlying other set other possibility? Do you think Hemlock? I mean, surely he knows what makes Omega special, right?
0: I, I don't think he does. I I think he only learned about Omega from um oh now I'm blanking on the the um and Prime Minister's oh, name. Oh yes, Wei.
1: Um, no, that was someone else.
0: Yeah. Um, Lamasu. Oh, we'll keep... Yes. No. yes. Yes, yes, thank you, Lama Um I think he only learned about Omega's existence from Lamasu. I think Omega is special, but only Nalase knows what is special about her. Maybe, maybe Emery Carr knows what is special, but I'm not sure of that either. If she did, then I think Hemlock would be able... Uh, yeah, the it, it would it would make a different situation. Mm-hmm.
1: I think that's all he really needs to know. I mean, even if she was something special, really all she is is an unaltered clone. Like, there's nothing inherently special it seems so far, at least about Omega. But it's enough for him to get what he wants out of um, say and get the results for what the Emperor demands of him. And unfortunately, that sort of seems like how the the Empire works is they just need some sort of motivator for people to do what they need to be told. Mm -hmm. And now he has that motivation.
2: So what does the Emperor want? I mean, are we assuming that it is the Rise of Skywalker end of being able to clone himself with the force sensitivity and wielding ability intact. Um, Or is he wanting to, you know, molecularly alter people so that they, all of the people across the galaxy will be, you know, do his bidding. I mean, what what is this ultimate goal that the Emperor wants? Um, What's your interpretation of that?
0: I I think the cloning theme is running across all of the Disney Plus shows. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking of of blanking on names to Dr. Um, Pershing. Pershing. Pershing in Andor. Mm -hmm. And his little speech and how, you know, he was talking about you can bring out the best qualities in in a person, Mm -hmm. uh, through, through this cloning process and, um, you know, Moff Gideon's idea of creating an army of, of force wielding clones of himself, Mm -hmm. force wielding Mandalorian clones of himself. (laughs) And, and all of these different sort of aspects, they do seem to imply like a large number of clones. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think, you know, the, the Snoke and then the somehow Palpatine returned mm-hmm. is probably like plan B or C. Okay. For the Emperor. Um, that
2: makes sense.
0: But I don't know if it was quite the... let's Let's make everybody in the galaxy a clone or somehow molecularly altered mm-hmm. to... To be obedient, you know, obedient mm-hmm. automatons <laughs> or whatever, whatever will be bring peace to this galaxy.
2: I mean, I'm thinking about just on that side note, before Josh gives his take here, I'm thinking of that chip that was inserted into all of the
1: mm. clones
2: that, you know, of course, was turned on, right, when Order 66 was given, um if they could just create something like that but for everyone to do whatever the emperor wants and you know distribute that across the galaxy somehow <laughs> um i don't know that's that's i guess the if if the Emperor could think of any plan A 100%, yes, I love that plan. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably something like that. That's what I'm thinking. Just for ultimate domination. <laughs> but I don't know. I have no clue as to what this particular impossible plan is that Nellisay is referring to. I don't know, Josh, what do you think? I don't know. With all of the different
1: clonings sort of different cloning projects going on throughout the series, different universe, it makes Mm -hmm. it seem like Palpatine's main goal is either with Vader and the Padme situation, because that was sort of dove into Invader Immortal, the video game, on how that came about and sort of went down the drain. But... Then there's also his own protection of Vader's betrayal, which is inevitable in the Sith world. And I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I'm sure it is that in the end it's going to be for his own self-interest and not for anyone else's. He's a Sith. Undoubtedly, yes. That makes the most sense. But it would be interesting also to see if there's a different idea within using cloning as a way for more control and more order. Mm -hmm. Ah, Only time will tell.
2: And at the very end, as Omega finally locates Crosshair, recovering on a table, apparently he was not cooperative. (laughs) Um,
0: Imagine that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Emery Carr... Comes along and unveils her identity as omega's sister um and she says it's ironic that Omega trusts Nala say but does not trust her I mean I don't trust emery carr i don't know about you. <laughs> who is this person who Where does she come from um why was she all was she a mistake was she intentionally it was a, a female clone intentionally created are there a bunch of female clones out there somewhere that we haven't met or i mean what what is going on here who is this person what do you have any theories about this no Rainstorm? i got nothing
1: <laughs> <laughs> i mean i honestly think that she was omega was obviously a backup plan but mm-hmm. it's who this other person is that i have no idea and they introduced her like just enough to make you want to know more but they didn't give you enough to satisfy you which I think was their goal for going into season 3 then of sort of explaining Omega's origins and stuff
0: we we do know that she's not 100% uh, working for Hemlock um, the way she sort of engineered Crosshair's escape a few episodes back, mm-hmm. allowing him to send the signal to the batch and so on, probably winding him up on that table, recovering um <laughs> but yeah, what where she's from, what her agenda is, man I your guess is as good as mine mm-hmm. do Do you have a theory, angela? Well,
2: I was trying to have a theory because I always look into people's name meanings, you know, oh, and so I looked up Emery. And it's an old German name that means home strength. And it could be hmm. a male or a female name, interestingly enough. um, And <laughs> when I was thinking about the name Carr, I couldn't help but think of if you've, for the younger folks, you may not know, but there was this show called Knight Rider. Okay. And... <laughs> <laughs> and that was where we had um the basically what is now a tesla (laughs) car um where there was this gosh you're right (laughs) (laughs) there was this car that could do (laughs) these amazing things back in the 80s um which now our cars are actually able to do like drive itself and give us information about things <laughs> but um so that car was it also had cool
0: armor and weapons true. and could do some really sweet jumps
2: <laughs> okay yes there was a little bit more to it but so the main car's name was kit in that show and kit had an evil twin at one point named car k-a-r-r spelled exactly the same and so i was like hmm Kit was programmed to preserve human life, but Carr was programmed for self-preservation. So did they maybe pull some inspiration from Night Rider to name Emory Carr as perhaps she perhaps she has something to do with the preservation of the clones or perhaps her own self-preservation? I don't know. You're you're just
0: hoping for a David Hasselhoff uh <laughs> oh um cameo in, in season three, aren't you? Definitely
2: not. <laughs> <laughs> that would throw me off so much. It would take me out of the show completely. <laughs> but um interesting note if I don't know if we mentioned this earlier when Emery was brought up in the show before, but she is played by Keisha. Castle Hughes who actually has been in Star Wars before on screen she played the Queen of Naboo and Revenge of the Sith so very interesting connection but I was reading an interview with her and she was not informed about anything related to Emery Carr's identity except like the episode before this ep- episode where she's actually says um I'm your sister or we're sisters so mm-hmm. so she was just playing this character a certain way, you know, as sort of um a neutral neutrally motivated character and now we know the actress herself um had very little um information about how to play the character. So with all that being said, she is quite mysterious and I would be very curious to hear if anyone else has a theory out there. Maybe they they picked up on a a crumb that we missed. So would love to hear that.
0: There, Star Wars does have something of a history of these family relation bombshells. <laughs>
2: um,
0: oh yeah, little known movie, you know as as. Uh, Tom Holland says that really old movie Empire
1: Strikes Back.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, Well, do you all have any final thoughts? Any other tidbits that you wanted to discuss before we end the Bad Batch season two?
1: I want to see the Zillow Beast again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know what's going to happen in season three, but I am 100% down for it. Mm.
1: Yeah. yeah, they did a really good way of closing out the season and creating an initial problem for them to dive into for season three. And season three is going to be the series finale, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, so we'll get to see that it close up.
0: That fact gives me a lot of hope for season three. Mm-hmm. And and when I heard that, it kind of explained. I I may have said this in a previous podcast, but it kind of explained a lot of what I think are like the, the, the difficulties that season two has had. But I think season two has been just doing a lot of setup for season three. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I'm really looking forward to all the payoff, I guess.
2: Yeah. I'm curious to see if they all end up surviving or who ends up surviving. Will they all end up on Pabu? <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Um It's a possibility.
2: <laughs> what happens I to you? I mean, Emin before Kar? Pabu,
0: I would have said no, everybody has to die in the <laughs> end. But now there's like
2: Now there's Pabu.
0: Now there's hope.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's like this weird purgatory place. <laughs> they're not dead, but they're not <laughs> alive in the main storyline. So yeah. All right. Well I want to know everyone else's theories. So please send us your feedback. Let us know what your theories are. Um, send us your emails to Wars at sqpn.com. You can find StarQuest on Facebook at facebook.com slash StarQuest Media. Leave us a comment there. Tweet us at sqpn. And if you're interested in joining over 750 other fans of this show and other Star Quest shows in our online community, just go to sqpn.com slash discord, where we have much accord and <laughs> we do not have discord, but it is in fact located on the discord platform. So if you would join us there. And we can continue this conversation. We can share theories to our heart's content and create our own Pabu. (laughs) Mm -hmm. A digital (laughs) Pabu. Um, (laughs) And don't miss our next deep dive series as we take a look at Star Wars Visions Season 2 of Star Wars stories from animation studios all around the world. So subscribe. You can subscribe to Secrets of Star Wars in basically every major podcast platform, as well as on iHeartRadio, on uh, TuneIn, on Stitcher, on SQPN's YouTube channel, and you can find previous episodes at sqpn.com Star Wars. Well, folks, that's it. That's the end of The Bad Batch Season 2 here on Secrets of Star Wars. So until next time, until the new adventure... Josh Beagley, thank you for joining us once again. Always happy to be here. And good news, Robert King, you survived this mission. Thank you for being here.
0: It's always good to survive.
2: <laughs> and once again, I'm the one in the middle, the Bendu, Angela Cialana. Thank you for joining Secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest. Here's another
0: show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy, The Secrets of Stargate. Find
1: it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com stargate.